0: to congratulate you for getting through that reading. Uh, There are lots of Iphithels and It-eyes and Hushy-eyes and all sorts, weren't they? So well done for getting through that. You did well. Maybe you've seen one of those films or series. Um, I like to watch some medieval stuff, Um, and they portray these battles and behind-the-scenes shenanigans that happen in, in the corridors of power do not have to be from the medieval age. You see them in good political thrillers, don't you? Um, and you generally, you have somebody and the weaseling away in the background to, to undermine the king or the president or the leader. And the planting seeds in people's minds. Uh, and, and you see where people's loyalties lie. And, and maybe you get surprised by a twist in the plot because someone who, who seemed to be loyal turns over to the enemy. And you see how far people are willing to, to, get the, to go, to get their own way. And you see who's really loyal to the king or the president or whoever. And you see who can be bought. And you find that lots and lots of people have the price. But the heroes are those who don't have a price. Can't be bought. And that's what we see playing out over the next few chapters of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel. From chapter 15 through to chapter 19, we've got this slow burning story that would have probably happened over a couple of months about Absalom, David's son, he, he, he plots this coup to take the throne from his dad. And you see who follows Absalom and who stays loyal, and you see Absalom planting all these little seeds. And it's a fascinating story, it's clever but it's messy, and it's it's difficult to divide up because... This would have been written. You think Steve's reading were long? This would have just been written as one long block. Chapters 15 through to 19 is just one story. And, you know, the, when the Bible was written, it wasn't written with verses and chapters. This would have just been lo- one long narrative. So praise God for chapters because you won't get in it all tonight. And we'll see ultimately that uh, over these next few weeks, as we look at this, this section where the, the, the throne's in danger. That there's nothing new under the sun. Negatively speaking, humanity, we haven't changed. Maybe a bit more sophisticated, but we haven't changed. But on the positive side, neither has God. And so the way that humans act hasn't changed, but the way that God acts hasn't changed. And this evening, we're just going to explore kind of the beginnings of this coup. You'll have, you know, We'll go on and, and look at it more next week. Uh, but we're going to try and see lessons about how people work. And also about how God works. And tonight we're going to look at four T's. And the first is trickery. Trickery. David's kingdom's weak. And a lot of it's David's fault. David had committed adultery, hadn't he? And then he'd used his power as king to to cover it up with murder. David himself used trickery. It's a good reminder, isn't it? Good people still fall. Nobody makes it in their own strength and David repents and is forgiven but there's there's this ominous prophecy that that kind of shapes the rest it doesn't just shape the rest of the book it shapes much of the old testament in chapter 12 where Nathan says to David because you've done this the sword will never depart from your house David there'll always be trouble in your in your house always be trouble in your kingdom And so years pass by and David's son and his first in line to the throne, Amnon, uh, he he commits a horrendous sexual crime against his half-sister. Absalom, the, the second in line, finds out, bides his time, David does nothing. So Absalom kills Amnon and he flees and David's heartbroken, but he still does nothing. And there's this plan by Absalom and Joab that we looked at last week to get Absalom back into the family. And David allows Absalom to return, but he still does nothing. And three years pass, and eventually David, under duress, calls for Absalom and he forgives him. But it's an uneasy peace. They're not close. David's a good king, generally. Despite all his massive failings, he's a good man. But he's not a good dad. And we see Absalom's, Absalom's tricky, he's cunning. You, you can understand how Absalom was frustrated at some of the things about his dad but he isn't a good man. He's tricky. He's sneaky. And whatever happens over the next few chapters, it's all part of the promise um, of chapter 12, verse 10 playing out, that David and his family, David and his kingdom starts to fall apart, but it's also Absalom's fault. And we read that Absalom, in in the beginning of the chapter, Absalom provides himself with chariots and men to run before him. We're told elsewhere in the Old Testament, aren't we, that kings aren't to do that. But the point is, chariots weren't practical. You didn't need a chariot to get around in Jerusalem. It was difficult to get around in a chariot. This, this was all Absalom puffing out his chest. This is Absalom buying himself a fancy car and 50 bodyguards. And we're told that he started getting up early in the morning and going to the gates of the city. That, that's significant. Because it were the gates of the city that people brought the complaints and brought the disputes, and they got heard by the judges, and then they got passed on to the king. And Absalom's there, all fancy with all his men. And these people who are at the gate, Absalom's a man of the people. You know, he's the king's son, but here he is by the gate, meeting with the locals and the yokels and sorting all the problems out. And when he meets them by the gate, it'd be something like this. What's what's your quarrel? What's your issue you want to bring? And they'd tell him what the issue is, and he'd say, I really feel for you. Listen, if it were me, I'd judge in your favor. But look, there's a, there's a massive backlog at the minute. You're probably not going to be able to, there's no judge to see you. I wish I were a judge. I, I could sort it out for you, but, but I'm not. It's not my place. I'm not the king. And we're told that he stole the hearts of all the men of Israel. Everybody loved Absalom because Absalom told everybody what they wanted to hear. Easy to tell people what they want to hear, isn't it, when you ain't not got to be the one to carry it out. We see Absalom on the news. We maybe even meet him at work. I dare say Absalom comes to church. We see him on the news, it's, it's election season. And Absalom's on a building site or is at a children's hospital holding a newborn baby. And he's got his sleeves rolled up and he's wearing a hard hat. And he's maybe holding a, a drill although he's never used one in his life. He's a man of the people. Just before the last general election, I won't tell you who he is, but a famous MP for Doncaster North. There was a photo and a big event in the local pub where I live. And there he was, the MP for Doncaster North, having a beer and playing pool. He was just one of the lads, wasn't he? He was having his photo taken with the punters. One of the lads. Now, if I'm being cynical, no one's seen him in there since... But before the election, he used to pop in to the local pub on a Friday night—a man of the people. And here's Absalom. And Absalom was asked asked questions: well, "What what going What would you do about the NHS?" And he says, "Oh, I completely understand, but I'm not in power. But if I was, we would sort it out." And he said, "Oh, about this cost of living crisis." And, and Absalom says, "Well, it's terrible. If I were in charge, I'd increase the minimum wage by five pound an hour. I'd double universal credits." And they all cheer and they all say, "Oh, Absalom's brilliant." Now, Absalom, just like the politicians, he hasn't said, I will do any of that. But it's easy to make promises when you haven't got to deliver on them, isn't it? It's easy to say what you do when it's not you who's got to do it. That's how people cause unrest. It's how they cause unrest at work or hearing different people this week talking about problems about at work because people are doing this. Things like this can really damaged churches you have people who are well if it were me I'd do this but, but it's not me and you know what they're like notice how Absalom never tells anyone how he'd help he's just getting them dissatisfied and saying well if I was in power I'd sort it but, but I'm not he never rules against anyone it's a liberty you've got when you're not in power isn't it don't have to say no to people Absalom knew what people were like he knew how to tickle their ears, and he played to the gallery. Have you ever met Absalom? Have you met him at work? Have you met him in the family, always trying to get people on his side? Have you met him at the church, planting little seeds of discontent? If it were me, I'd do this. Always saying what they'd do, but never telling you how they do it. Absalom was all things to all men. I've met people like that, just not in the way that the Apostle Paul was all things to all men. He was full of trickery. Secondly, treason. Absalom, we're told, had stolen the hearts of the men of Israel. He'd he'd kind of tricked them into believing he was this godly man, he was going to be this good king, uh, and if only he was king. And, And now for phase two, now he's got the hearts of the people, he's ready to move. He's ready to overthrow David, and we read that after 40 years, that probably means in the 40th year of David's reign, but it could also mean four years later. He he goes and he tricks David. He asks David, he says, you know, when I I was in in hiding, I I was living in Hebron, and I I want to go back there because I made a promise to someone, I want to fulfill a vow. Hebron was the place where kings were crowned. Hebron's where David were crowned king. And Absalom plants spies, Were told, in all the tribes of Israel. And he says to these spies, wait for the trumpet call, and when you hear it, declare me king. He's having this coup, isn't he? We read that 200 men, that he, in verse 11, 200 men that he invites from Jerusalem go along with him innocently. And we read that Absalom and the people with him continually increase in number. Absalom takes over in the polls. Absalom's army gets bigger than David's. Absalom's popularity is greater than David's. He's got the hearts of the people with him, and now he's ready to enact his treason and become king. Sharp contrast to David. That David, for all his faults, even when he had opportunity, he refused to rise up against the king. Absalom's quite happy to rise up against his dad. And we notice as well that Absalom pulls off a a massive coup, a great sign-in, if you like. If you notice in verse 31, Ahithophel joins him. Ahithophel had been one of David's great counselors, probably David's best advisors, one of the most brilliant minds in all of Israel. And he goes over to Absalom's side. We'll see later in the chapter people have different choices to make. Ah, Ahithophel's a brilliant, wise counselor, sharp mind, a brilliant strategist. But he goes over to Absalom. Third is tragedy. Some of the major events in these next four chapters, the big events, some of them are only, we have a verse about them. But David's departure from Jerusalem's drawn out over 39 verses. It's meant to be painfully slow and and, and we're meant to see the the pain of it. This messenger brings news to David. Look, all the people's hearts have gone over to Absalom uh, and you need to flee Jerusalem and David, the king after God's own heart, is exiled. David, God's king, has to go into the wilderness and his kingdom's crumbling around him. And you've got that scene in verse 30 where David's weeping as he goes up the Mount of Olives. His heart's breaking as he goes up the Mount of Olives because his kingdom's been ripped for him. But you can't, I don't think you can read verse 30, David going up the Mount of Olives weeping, without thinking of Luke 22, can you? When Jesus goes up the Mount of Olives the night before he's crucified, and he's weeping because he's being exiled. There's a tragedy for David and a tragedy for the nation. But what I want us to see in this is, the fourth thing is tokens. Tokens of God's goodness. Tokens of God's grace. Tokens that God's in control. This is a really dark chapter in David's life and in Israel's life. But if you look at it, there's tokens of God's goodness all the way through. And I think that helps us because we can be going through rubbish times. But if we trace it, we can see... Tokens of God's goodness. Tokens that God's with David. I I want us to try and think about them and we'll use them as we wrap up in a bit. We saw this the other week, but we, we need to keep seeing it. God's in control. What's happening to David's horrible? It looks very, very threatening for the kingdom of God, but God's in control. Everything's going according to plan. Nothing's happening in this passage that God isn't in charge of all he's doing is fulfilling what he promised in chapter 12 he's keeping his word that don't free people for from personal responsibility absalom's still responsible for his actions just in the same way that the people who crucified jesus were responsible but it's god's plan when bad things happen it's not that we're out of god's plan this is god's plan Absalom's wicked, Absalom's treacherous, Absalom's responsible, Absalom's going to have to answer for his own actions, but Absalom's actually accomplishing God's will. Absalom's fulfilling God's word from chapter 12 that David's house would suffer, the sword wouldn't depart. See, God's faithful to his word, even the ugly bits. That's the first token that God's still in control in difficult times. Another token we see is in verse 25. It's a token that shows us that David's still a spiritual man. We could wonder, couldn't we, about David. Is he still a spiritual man, all he's gone through? Well, in verse 25, we talk, we're talking about the Ark of the Covenant. Now, you might remember, you might not remember, but back in 1 Samuel chapter 4, when, when, the, when Israel go out to fight against the Philistines, and they end up losing, and the Ark of the Covenant gets captured... The ark is is the symbol of God's presence with his people. And in 1 Samuel 4, the Israelites, they treat it like a lucky charm. They've got to go into battle. Let's take the ark with us. It's like a rabbit's foot. We'll take the ark. And David sees them about to take the ark into battle here. And he says, no, don't do that. Take it back to Jerusalem. And I love what David says in verse 25. He says, carry the ark of God back into the city. Because if I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he'll bring me back. And show me it, and it's dwelling. But if the Lord says, I've no delight in you, then let him do as seems good to, to him. What's David saying there? David's, D- David's confidence is saying, look, my Lord, my confidence isn't in a box. It's in the Lord. David's saying, if it's God's will, he'll bring me back. And when he brings me back, I'll see the ark then. But I don't need to take the ark with me. That, that's Faith. Lord, do what, you, do what you will with me. See, for all David's faults and all David's failures, he was still God's man, and that's encouraging, isn't it? Don't look like God's man here. He's running away, he's, he's running into hiding, he's running for his life, his kingdom's in jeopardy. And it's a reminder to us this that when we fall and when we fail, as we will, even when we go through trials and when we go through sufferings that are our own fault, and we will. It doesn't mean we're abandoned. David knows that his fate's in God's hands. David has faith. He knows he doesn't need to take the ark with him because God's with him. Third thing that stands out as tokens of, of God's goodness is seeing the, the choices that some people make in this chapter. See, this uprising, this, this trouble in the kingdom, causes people to choose sides. Whenever there's trouble, whether it's in a family, whether it's at work, whether it's in a church, it causes people to choose sides, doesn't it? Some people have a price. Some people don't. But in difficult times, you find out who your friends are. And here there's some real lovely and surprising tokens of grace. Firstly, we read about this bloke called Ittai the Gittite. Ittai is a leader of 600 men from Gath. Now, we know Gath is in Philistia, don't we? It's Philistine territory. And when David flees, these 600 Gittites come to him. And Ittai and his men are unusual. We we, we just had those Philistines. We know that the Philistines didn't like the Israelites. David killed the Philistines' favorite warrior. And David's surprised. He says in verse 19, Why are you coming with us? R- remain, return and, and serve the king. David's not being rude, but the point is this. has only just arrived in Jerusalem and he's there to, to serve David for whatever, some kind of deal, some kind of covenant, but it's not Ittai's fight. Ittai had only been in David's service for two minutes and David said, like, I'm releasing you from any obligation you've got to me. You've got my blessing, go and serve under the new regime. Don't die fighting a losing battle. It's not your battle. But is not having any of it. I love, I love how he responds. He, he, he promises to God and he promises to David in verse 21, in life or death, where David goes, Itai goes. That's fantastic, isn't it? It reminded me of Ruth and Naomi, where, Ruth, where Naomi frees Ruth. Look, you can, you can go home. There's no obligation. And Ruth says, where you go, I go. Your God's my God. Not by compulsion, just by faith. One writer says, "Itai is an island of fidelity in a sea of treachery." So encouraging when we when we get Ittais. people who we didn't expect, people who we didn't really know that long, and they come and they support us. See, David's own sons turned against him. David's most trusted counsellor, Ahithophel, turned against him. But here's a stranger who owes him nothing. And he says, I'm willing to risk everything for you. That's the friend who sticks closer than a brother, isn't it? There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. It's just not always who you expect. must have encouraged David. We, we, we praise God for his eyes. Praise God for loyal friends. And it's not always the one that you'd expect. I know you, you can probably say this. I can say this in my life. There's different times in my life and it's not always been the people that I've expected that have turned, and it's not always been the people that I've expected that have stayed. Praise God for eyes. You'd imagine that Itai would have been off as soon as trouble started, but he stays. David's greatest son, Jesus. Jesus comes on the scene, and it's the Ittai's of the world that follow him, isn't it? It's the foreigners and it's the outsiders. That are loyal to him. And it's his own that turn on him. We praise God for retirees in the church. A bit of trouble comes, they don't jump ship, they plant the feet. That's a prayer for us, isn't it? That when trouble comes, we'd be those who plant our feet rather than leave. We've seen it even in this church over 30, 40 years, haven't we? Trouble does come. And when it comes, we're grateful for those who plant the feet rather than those who take off. Ittai would have been a huge encouragement to David. And then there's Zadok and Abiathar, the priests. And they stand by David. And David sends them back to spy on Absalom. So here's David, and all of a sudden, he's got 600 warriors to protect him where he is, and two priests to go back into Jerusalem, and to spy for him. Things are looking up a little bit, even though it's dark. David still has people in Jerusalem. He's still got people in this city. Abiathar eventually turns on him. But for now, he's loyal. But there's even more, and I think this is one of the most beautiful parts. That As David climbs the Mount of Olives, David's a broken man. He's climbing that Mount of Olives. He's crying his eyes out. And then he finds out something we already know. As he gets towards the top of the Mount of Olives, he finds out not only has Absalom gone against him, not only is this coup against him, but Ahithophel has jumped ship as well. This is serious because advisors basically ran the country. Ahithophel's like the king's top civil servant. is his right-hand man in lots of ways. The king would have took instructions from someone like Ahithophel. And Ahithophel was a brilliant man. He had a brilliant mind. He was a brilliant advisor. And when David really needed good counsel, Ahithophel jumped ship. David's heartbroken. And he's worried. And it's right here we see another massive token of God's grace. In verse 31, when David hears about Ahithophel leaving, David he prays up a quick-fire prayer, a desperate prayer, God, please overrule the council of Ahithophel. And he opens his eyes after praying, and he looks up, and there's Hushai the archite coming towards him in sackcloth and ashes. His prayers answered. Hushai himself was one of David's brilliant family advisors. He's probably an old man because David says, look, if, if you come with me, you'll be a burden. You'll slow us down. But listen, there is a job you can do, Hushai. You can go back to Jerusalem. You can spy on Absalom. And you can try and usurp Ahithophel. And he says to, he says, you can say to Ahithophel, look, I'm here to serve you like I served you. You can say to Absalom, I'm here to serve you like I served your dad. Indulge me, will you, for a second, because Tottenham have had a good day. It's the eve of the cup final, Tottenham against Arsenal, and Tottenham are in the hotel preparing and Maurizio Pochettino, who was my favourite ever Tottenham manager, called the cat after him. He walks into the room and he says to the Spurs players, I'm, I'm leaving, I'm going to manage Arsenal. And he walks out and the Spurs players say, what on earth are we going to do? It's the cup final tomorrow and we've just lost the best coach we've ever had. What are we going to do? And they look up and into the room walks Antonio Conte. Even better than Poch. I love Pochettino, but but Conte is even better. Well, that's what's happening with David. David's lost Ahithophel, a phenomenal advisor. And the Lord gives him Hushai, an even better advisor. By by the way, in my made-up story, Tottenham won 3-0. But as I read this, this chapter over the week, when, when I got to the bit where, where David arrives on top of the mountain and Hushai's there, it took me back to Genesis 22. I was talking to John about it the other day. When Abraham reaches the top of the mountain and, and he's so upset and he's heartbroken that he's got to sacrifice his son on the hill of the Lord, it shall be provided. And it's when, it's when he's heartbroken, it's when he's, he's run out of it, it, this is the crunch time now. It's now or never. I need help, and the Lord provides. Isn't that how God works? You know that I went well last year, and I think two weeks before I had my time off, after not seeing him for four or five years, Phil Rain turns up, and he says, I've got a new job, Ben. I'm meeting up with pastors, just to see how I can encourage them. Anything I can do for you? The Lord knows, doesn't he? Just when we need people, just when we need something, on the hill of the Lord, it shall be provided. And we can't think of that, can we? Without thinking, we come to the top of another hill, and it's desperate. And Jesus' friends have turned the back on him, but a few have stayed, and they're not the people you expect. It's a foreigner called Joseph of Arimathea, and a, a few women, and the rest's history, isn't it? Because on the hill of the Lord, God provides. God provides for those who who trust in him. God provides forgiveness and salvation and and protection. And often it's it's after a desperate prayer, and often it's when we come to the end of our strength, and often it's when we've got no more options left, that the Lord meets with us. I'm jumping the gun, but in chapter 17, it comes a real pivotal point in this big battle for the kingdom. And Ahithophel gives Absalom some brilliant advice in chapter 17, advice that if Absalom will follow it, will get him the crown. And guess who Absalom seeks a second opinion from? Hushai. The man who David had sent to plant as a counsellor to Absalom, the man who God had provided at the top of that hill for him. And he listens to Hushai. And and, uh, the battle is lost, and Ahithophel goes and hangs himself in shame. And we read this, for the Lord had purposed to defeat the good advice of Ahithophel to the intent that the Lord might bring disaster On Absalom. Isn't that a great reminder that when it's dark and when it's impossible, there are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, it is the Lord's counsel that will stand. How many times have we witnessed that? Have we experienced that in a, a dark and impossible situation? And God provides, and God overrules, and God gives us little tokens of grace. And so this is a dark time for Israel. It's a particularly dark time for David, and it gets darker. And there's trickery, and there's treason, and there's tragedy. But if we if we look, we can see God's grace in it. Our problem sometimes is a bit like we're we're in an aeroplane, and we're on the runway, and all we can see is. Out of a little window like that, we can see a bit of concrete. And then we go up in the air, and we're at 30,000 feet, and we can see everything. And when we're in our problems, when we're in our dark times as a church, as as an individual, in a marriage, whatever, all we can see is that thing that's in front of us. And we can't see how God's with us. But if we could go to 30,000 feet, we'd see all these tokens of grace. We'd see that he's providing for us all along the way. And I need to remember that, and you need to remember that, and David needed to remember that. Particularly that on the hill of the Lord, God will provide. And David wrote Psalm 3 during this time. and I'm going to read it to close, and then we'll sing. A Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of 10,000s of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord. Save me, O my God. For you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people. Amen. Let's come and sing our final song of the evening. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good, dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Father, we pray that you would give us the faith to do that when we're on the ground and we can't see what's going on. You'd help us to trust in you, knowing that you are in complete control and that you care for your people. We thank you for the tokens of grace in this passage and the tokens of grace that you give us in our lives. We thank you that you have led us thus far and you will lead us home. Give us confidence. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take that truth from our brains and plant it in our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen.